The following Dharma talk was given by Ron Hogan Green. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. He delivered a talk over Zoom from his home in Pennsylvania to both residents and home practitioners. Thanks for listening. Uh, first, it's uh, great to be back. I've been taking care of some health problems, but I'm fine. Um, so uh, I want to welcome you and welcome me uh, back to the Zendo. Thank you. This is a poem by W.S. Merwin. <clears throat> Old man at home alone in the morning. There are questions that I no longer ask and others that I have not asked for a long time that I return to and dust off and discover that I'm smiling. And the question has always been me and that it is no question at all, but that it means different things at the same time. Yes, I am old now, and I am the child. I remember what are called the old days, and there's, there is no one to ask how they became the old days. And if I ask myself, there is no answer. So this is old, and what I have become. And the answer is something I would come to later when I was old. But this day is not old, and I am this day, in which the autumn leaves have no question as the breeze passes through them and it's gone. First, I want to uh, acknowledge W.S. Merwin, uh, who had insight and did some remarkable things in his life, both as a poet and ecologically and other things and also wrote the preface towards uh, Maizumi's book on the Gentra Koan. And also I want to note that I changed a couple of words in the poem to make it apply to our circumstances, nothing substantial though. So the first section says, there are questions that I no longer ask and others that I have not asked for a long time that I return to and dust off and discover that I'm smiling. And the question has always been me, and that it is no question at all, but that it seems different things at the same time. Perhaps you have, as I have, arisen in the early time of this day or a day and considered my life about my way of everyday life and how I live and have lived, about how we are travelers on a journey. Considered my life framed as I tend to, although it is only one frame of many, of the Tao, the way, this way of the path of the Bodhisattva, that as we travel, which is of course, our path. What is this way for you? How does it actually live? What is this life for you? 
of course, in one sense, is just your life. What does it mean to aspire openly? On one hand, without reservation, to this path, and on the other, the deep-seated fear that when, when I look very closely, all I may find is my fearful self, ghost-like, vanishing into the mist, mists. I've been thinking of Hojin Sensei's teaching of asking in one form or another, who am I? And bringing forth a response that is not centered in thought. Through a drawing or a piece of writing, creating a pottery piece, a way of entering directly into this, this. Forgetting my self-centeredness, even when we think that that is all I have. Sometimes I look at a tree, a particular tree, so many of them where I live, so many of them at the monastery. Where am I? There is a tree here, tree there. There is me here, me there. We all know this. Wherever I go, that's where I am. And yet, here's a tree before me. But a deeper perspective, unbound, is offered to us in this inquiry. The tree, me. Wendell Barry said, Unless you know where you are, you don't know who you are. So we put ourselves before this tree. Of course, it doesn't have to be a tree. It could be any, anything. But we put ourselves before this tree. Where are you? Does the poet mean where are you or where you are? In the physical sense, we all know that in, from one perspective. But more is being asked of us. How can we see past our usual understanding of where I am? Where are you as a tree is before you? Interestingly enough, if you have ha sat before this tree, doesn't have to be that you're immediately there now. It can hold you. To deeply consider this, the tree has to be in you, as you. Or you have to be in the tree, as the tree. I practice this when I sit Zazen at home before Avalokiteshvara, who was on the altar, among other buddies. At such a time, where am I? This is a deep inquiry into the reality of place and identity. We could also ask, you don't know where you are until you know who you are. Just flipping the statement. Is this a different question? Who are you? Where are you? Now, right now, who are you? Where are you? If the tendency is to let thought drive the question, please just let the thought be lonely and insufficient.
not ignored, but just as it is. Let it be. For the only true comfort we can have in our life is to let the thoughts be just as they are. Let them be lonely. In this way, we invite the stillness of our beloved presence to come forth. I say beloved, to know that we are beloved in our being, as is every being is why we are studying the 37 verses of the Bodhisattva path. To know, or at least be suspicious, at least suspiciously suspect that this is true in some manner for all beings, that our fundamental realization, being unborn, undying, is always present even though we may be unaware. What arises for me when I consider this is one of the verses that we're studying on the practice of the Bodhisattva path. It's an early one and it has a usually, it's understood in a very particular way. It goes, in my native land, Waves of attachment to friends and kin surge. Hatred for enemies rages like fire. The darkness of stupidity, not caring what to adopt or to avoid. To abandon my native land is the practice of abandonment. Our native land in this context is our running thoughts attached to the particulars wanting, wanted or not, to the difficulties of our life, or to just avoiding, avoiding ourself and all we glue to as our being. But what about banning this land? Practice in a particular way invites us to see how and where we have created a dwelling of so many attachments, some necessary to live, some helpful to awakening, some subtly or overtly harmful to this path of activity, which is the path of compassion. But we do have our attachments. Where and how can we see their true nature? A tree's true nature, your true nature. Someone said, the only real and complete comfort we'll have in our life is to be free from our own lives. And many of our lives, perhaps most of our lives, we at some level know, refuse to acknowledge them or acknowledge them by superficially acknowledging them and then dismissing them. The only real and complete comfort we'll have in our life is to be free from our own lives, to be free from our stories. It's not that our stories don't have a reality, but to be free from them. When you're older, thickened up by time, 
and the burning candle that is our life flickers a bit. We may look very closely at how we, we will use this energy, these bursts of concentration that are still present, but more limited. So we can ask, is my practice the practice on the path of the Bodhisattva? We can ask that specifically in specific thoughts and actions. There are questions I no longer ask, he says. Questions about love. I know what love is. I live my love to you, to others, to myself, to my wife, imperfectly, of course, but also knowing no score. I know what fear is. I see my fear, not as clearly as I could, but I see it. It's a practice. I was just reading in a journal of how they've located the spot in our brain that lights up when we are fearful. And it's the same exact spot that lights up when we have anxiety. That sort of confirms what we've always known, doesn't it? That anxiety is always about fear. Fear of what? something we're holding on to, something we're avoiding, some lie, something we're trying to protect ourselves with or from. Attachment to friends and kins and kin surge. Hatred for enemies rages like fire. Darkness of stupidity to adapt. It is me. You can be okay with your fear. It's just the practice of fear. Nothing special. Even when the nightmare pushes panic, we can see anxiety. We can practice it, which starts with awareness. The nagging sense of it, the hook of it, can help us, can help us pay attention to it. May I be free from fear and anxiety is the first part of a practice I do when fear and anxiety arise. It's an awareness that can be there. We can be together, fear and ourself, anxiety and ourself, a single body. These questions I no longer ask, that I return to and dust off and discover I'm smiling. And the question has always been me, and that it is no question at all, but that it means different things at different times, and different things at the same time, both are true. The smile when we dust off the questions, is many things. Gratitude for the people you and I practicing together, for my teachers, 
for discovering this path, a way into my life. And in a very different way, a way out of my life, a very positive way. The smile is for the long road of trusting, of being patient. This is the path to my true native land, the one that doesn't come and go. I'm born, I'm dying. How did this happen? When does this happen? How can I help? How can I be helped? Depending how it is looked at, can, can, this, can that be the same question or is it always different? Why did I think for so long a time that practice is a thing? Something I can make do my will grasp, understand, and yet not be in ignorance of. How did it become me? Dogen says, seeing forms with the whole body and mind, hearing sounds with the whole body and mind. One understands them intimately. What a gift we have before us, this practice, and each other, and our teachers. Yes, I am old now, and I am the child. I remember what are called the old days, and there is no one to ask how they became the old days. And if I ask myself, there is no answer. I am here, as are you, here. As individual people, persons, can we appreciate the deep meaning of this? Intellectually, we understand. What is missing from that understanding? I'm getting up there in years, and so these reflections seem to overtake me more often. Perspectives of my life over these decades, perspectives of spiritual practice over this time perspectives of this order and other Zen centers I've practiced in along the way and people I know and have known over the years. Perspectives that can only come with time and age and practice and stillness. Our now-centered perspective, crucial as it is, is not all there is. It can't be from a practice perspective at least. We can overlook that this is a path and each turning on our journey brings a different view, a different understanding. Have you ever hiked up a mountain and along the trail before you reach the top is an overview? And you stop and you look, wow. But then you continue. There are new and different vistas showing near and far views. Impressive and perhaps not so impressive. We reach the top and yet another view, perhaps majestic, perhaps offering some insight into our journey. Which is the true view? 
Should we discard any perspective of our life? Each, each, of, each perspective is an integral perspective of who we are, where we are. Understandings of my life from a longer and broader way of seeing. Of feelings that have been driven, of feelings that have driven my life. Of the energies of the desires and demands I've made of myself and others. Of my failings and places where circumstance and decisions offer some satisfaction. Of sadness of choices and decisions. Places I've gone to with shut eyes and ignorant of how little I knew and how much of this experience of my life has shaped my life. Become who I am. Unlike the painted picture of myself, I have sometimes treasured or scorned. And of my fellow travelers, the ones who are gone, and I have a picture of on the altar of my mind. Being an individual has a truth, but that if, but if that is all we appreciate, we have cut ourselves off from our hearts. A practice of the Bodhisattva path is seeing for ourselves the fullness of our being, how we stand alone with nothing apart. And yet, there is always the question, how will I manifest this being given this wholeness? And we encounter the wholeness the whole way we're working with it. But it's not easy. Someone said discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. I think that's a very, very apropos statement. Abraham Lincoln said that. I remember what I called the old days. And there is no one to ask how they became the old days. If I ask myself, there is no answer. By the way, you may hear voices. I'm at home. Three grandkids. It's a birthday party. And so they're running around the house yelling and screaming. Welcome to Sajin. If I ask myself, there is no answer. Why? As the Buddha often responded to questions like this, the question rests on a false premise. He didn't answer it. But suppose the question rests on your entire being. Would that be a different question? Thus, if I ask myself, there is no answer. And these words can have a deeper meaning than just the obvious way of understanding it. There's a different way to understand if I ask myself, there is no answer. So this is old and what I have become. And the answer is something I would come to later when I was old. This old really has nothing ultimately to do with age. 
what does this have to do with your life, which is now? Many of you uh, saw the film Being 97. I keep coming back to that because it struck me so, so clearly. It's a film about a well-known philosopher, a highly respected philosopher who wrote a lot of books, including on death and dying. And now he's 97 and he's about to die and he knows that within a couple of months. And he talks and he talks about how he wrote these books and how meaningless they are now that he's facing his death, the actuality of that. The intellectual understanding of this has not helped him any more than it would help us. And the film is about that particular day, his day. And at one point, it looks like it's springtime or perhaps early summer, he's sitting in the garden, seeing the beautiful garden. And he, and he just stops and he asks, where has this been all my life? Where has this been all my life? It's worth considering where it is. Dogen once quoted his teacher, Rujing, who said, during this time of sitting Zazen, we are making offerings to all the Buddhas and Zen ancestors in the whole universe. Everyone, without exception, pays homage and makes boundless offerings of flowers, lamps, precious jewels, and fine robes. Do you know this is happening, he says. If you know it, you cannot say you're wasting time. If you don't yet know it, do not avoid what is directly in front of you. That's our practice. Our mind is directly in front of us. Is there anything left out in our zazen? Beyond these offerings, I ask myself, how as I live, how am I offering? How am I receiving your offerings? I know there's much more to see, to realize, which inspires me to practice wholeheartedly. So this is old and what I have become. And the answer is something I would come to later when I was old. But today is not old. And I am the day in which the autumn leaves have no question as the breeze passes through them and is gone. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Zen Mountain Monastery is live streaming all Dharma talks and daily Zazen during the coronavirus quarantine? Visit our website to learn about all the online programs being offered at this time. Just go to zmm.org and click on the link at the very top of the page, or scroll down and click on Retreats.